Hey guys, today I'm with Stephanie of Doula School in Toronto, Canada, and we talk about becoming a doula, the last two decades of doula work, what she's doing with like doula agencies and training doulas and like the impact that that's having on reducing cesarean rates and traumatic birthing. And then we also talk about how she had two babies before she became a doula and all of her training and then birthing her third baby, which is the story we get into with all of that training like under her belt and how that informed her birth experience. It's such a cool story. I'm so glad you're here. And if you want to push pause and leave a review, that would be awesome too. Okay, let's get to it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hides. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. So like, let's say you're pregnant. That's why you're listening to the birth story podcast and you're preparing for a hospital birth that's upcoming. And of course, this podcast gives you tons of free information, right? But like, do you really understand the stages of labor? How to know when you're in labor? What if you have to have an induction? What about a cesarean section? What about all of the decisions that you have to make once you get to the hospital? So you get there and then they put you in triage. Birth Story Academy walks you through all the things that happen, like that rapid fire with like monitoring and blood work and questions and IV ports and do you want an epidural? I don't know, do you? In Birth Story Academy, we literally break down all of those decisions pros, cons, risks, benefits, intuition. And like we get into it. We make birth plans. We do birth visions. We listen to birth affirmations and parenting affirmations. And like at the end of it, like you know exactly what's going to happen when you go into labor and when you get to the hospital. What's going to happen after you give birth? Newborn care preferences. How to take care of your baby. I guess what I'm getting at is... If you're not in Birth Story Academy, what's your plan? I want you to come join me in Birth Story Academy and let me walk you through all of the decisions that you have to make if you're having a hospital birth and how to have body autonomy and how to have informed consent and informed refusal. I'm going to teach you and your partner, if you have one, everything that you need to know about birthing in a hospital so that you can walk in that door with some swagger, with some confidence, wash that anxiety away. 
because you learned everything you needed to learn in Birth Story Academy and you are ready to crush that birth. Okay, let's do it. And let's get to this episode. Hey, Stephanie, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. How are you doing? Good. Happy to be here. I'm so excited. We're going to talk about one of your birth stories today. You have six children. We're going to talk about one birth story. And I would like to start the podcast off by you just like sharing about your business, what you're doing in the birth world, and like really why we're connecting today. Yeah. And I think, you know, you've been in this birth work um, uh, pretty much the same amount of time as me, two decades. And I often say a lot of us who've been around that long, we became doulas sort of by accident, you know? I remember being pregnant with my first son, which was pre-internet. You know, when I say that people's eyes always widen, pre-internet, what was that, you know? I had four books, I read them cover to cover. And of course the day came and went and it wasn't exactly what I hoped. Four years later, I was having my second son. I thought, you know, I think I need to do something different and took prenatal classes. I took a phenomenal Lamaze childbirth series and it changed my life. You know, people kind of look at me with a sly eye, like changed your life, a prenatal class. Yes, because it was the first time someone had exposed me to the idea of being an informed decision maker in my healthcare. You know, my parents' generation, you go to your doctor, you do what your doctor says, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, I just knew there was, I wanted something different than what that first experience had given me. So I had a phenomenal birth experience with that second son, which interestingly, in terms of how long it lasted and how much pain I felt was very similar to my first, but how I came away feeling after that birth, that transformed my life. Because I realized that having a positive birth, an empowering birth, it doesn't just impact that day. It literally changes how we parent. And I knew in that moment, two weeks later, sitting up, looking at my son as we were struggling with feeding, thought to myself, I want to help other people prepare for this. I don't want people to have to have that first experience where it's like, oh, that didn't feel so good before they get to the good one. Like, let's just get right to the good one. And so I decided to become a Lamaze childbirth educator. And the word doula was not even on my radar. But from the very first class I taught, someone said to me, we're really nervous about having our baby. Will you come with us? I was like, yeah. Yeah. And I attended births for a year and went, I think I'm doing this thing called doula. You know, and that's sort of like the rest is history, as they say. So what year was that? That was 2002. Okay. So 20 years. Yeah. So like kind of cutting edge, right? Because... The first like doula certifications weren't even really around then, or they were just coming onto the scene. Like one of the larger ones, Dona International, you know, I think was around 2000, 2001, that time. So like, this is really like, for those of you listening, like really the history of being a doula and even the word doula right? Now we understand there's like a lot of controversy with that word, right? Like really we're, we're a more culturally appropriate term is birth worker, which the world is kind of moving towards. But at this time we had adopted this language of doula, which has a history meaning woman servant, right? And like serving the birthing person and helping that birthing person. But like most people had never heard of a doula and it really hadn't been named 
that yeah. that often, at least, even in literature. So like, Stephanie, like you like are coming on the scene with Lamaz, like right when this was becoming uh, not even mainstream yet. Oh, no. So like, bravo, you know, my first birth as a doula was in 2005. And when I attended my first birth as a doula, I didn't know the word doula. Yeah, I still same. didn't even know. I, I, what I, what I was doing was what I still do today as a birth worker, but it didn't have an identifier <laughs> with yeah. it. So, what did you do, like as a Lamaze instructor and becoming a doula? Like, how did you kind of like, like first of all, did you have another job? <laughs> I did. That's the thing. I actually worked full time. Mm -hmm. So it's funny when people say, "I want to be a doula, but I work full time." I'm like, dude, I worked full time the first five years of attending births. You know, yeah. now people imagine. Sometimes people, you know, it's this black and white thinking where they imagine they're on call 24 seven and they're constantly being called away for their work. It's like, no, I took a birth every other month, Yeah, you know? So in a year, maybe six times. And I actually remember this one time I went two entire years where it didn't interfere with my job one single time, yeah. you know? And so if like, you're not doing four births a month, then it's not going to interfere all the time, but that's a full-time job four yeah. births a month. Right. And I'm always like, sometimes birthy world universe works out. I worked mm -hmm. in corporate America for the first 14 years of my career. So wow. I've been a, only a full-time doula for four years versus a part-time doula for 14 years. But I joked that like all my clients gave birth on Saturday. It was like yeah. the universe just made it align. You know, yeah. there so were that times where I, you know, went to a birth all night long, came home, got dressed and went to work. But because I wasn't doing that every three days, it wasn't that big of a deal. I slept for a couple of days after that, you know, mm -hmm. but yeah, it happened a lot in the evenings and weekends. And so anyone that's out there thinking, I really want to do this work, but I have this job. It's like, listen, if you can be a little bit late, if you can call in sick once in a while, it, you can make that those two things happen. Oh, I just want to echo that. I would mm -hmm. be at these long births all night long and I, I had to wear, this is back when you had to wear suits to work, yeah. you know, nobody cares about that anymore. But like I would have my suit in the car and, and my job was actually at the hospitals. Mm -hmm. And so I would walk out of labor and delivery, go down to my car, put my suit and my heels on and then walk right back into the hospital in a consulting role. So oh you gosh, can make it you can make it happen. And yeah. like you, Stephanie, I think for those that are interested in doula work, like I believe that getting into it part-time is really a good launching point. Yeah, you absolutely. know, like totally it's, it's absolutely possible. Okay. So you've had these two births and then you're really starting to get super empowered, mm -hmm. you know? Okay. So now I want to know, like, well, first, where do you live? I'm in the Toronto, Toronto suburbs in okay. Canada. Okay. So you're in Canada and Toronto. Okay. So now I kind of want to like understand for me, what I believe about doulas is that you said we just kind of stumble into it. I believe it's a calling and it just keeps calling us and you just can't, yes. you can't run away from it anymore. Mm -hmm. So what switched in your mind and your family where you're like, I have to, to make ripples in the world with birth? I think it probably goes back into earlier in my 20s where I felt this unquenchable desire to do something purposeful and to feel a passion for my work. 
And so it was, I I used to call myself a self-help junkie. Like I had read every single self-help book there was as though reading the book was going to solve this feeling I had and then stumbled into this. And I don't even think I initially made the association that this was the thing that I had been searching for. But I think over time, um, actually, I remember the very first birth I ever attended as a birth worker um, was was somebody who was going through a lot in her personal life, didn't know if her partner was going to be at the birth. Her mother and sister were like, you're too old to have a baby. You shouldn't be having a baby. It was just a real challenging situation. And her childbirth educator said, you know, Stephanie, if you are open to doing some birth support, um, I think this person could really benefit. And I was like, yeah, sure, of course. Because at that point, I just kept thinking attending births was going to help me help make me a better educator. So I still didn't have this doula um, hat on. I just kept thinking it was going to help me understand birth better so that I could teach it better to people. And that birth was really tough and really challenging for that person. But I, I met up with her maybe five months later, six months later to see how she was doing. And the she said to me, Stephanie, I think my husband and I are together because of you. And I was like, what? And I couldn't even fathom how that was possible. And she said, in a tough moment, you brought us together. You helped us see each other in a new light, like just all these things. And I was like, whoa. Mm -hmm. And I really, if I think back, that was the moment I think I was hooked. Like how could a job, how could something that I do be so powerful? Yeah. So Stephanie, I'm piggyback on that. No one yeah. can believe this statistic. I'm I operate out of the United States. It's like a 40 to 50% divorce rate. A lot of that has to do with like age, socioeconomic things, you know. So yes, my clients are older when they're conceiving fertility journeys and um well educated and have higher income. So like uh, there's a little bit of a bias there. I have attended over a thousand births. Only five of my clients have gotten divorced in 18 years. Five. So what you are saying right there, it is a hundred percent truth that that birth absolutely brings partners together in a way in which, especially birth with the support and structure with birth workers and the right birth team around you, like something changes in these deep relationships, you know? So I love that. And then I I was hooked and I just kept doing it thinking this feels really powerful and really important. And for sure, I was a lot more feisty at that age than I am now in terms of understanding the dynamics of this medical system we find ourselves in, which is very complex and complicated, you know, in fighting for informed decision-making and for people's voices to be heard. And I, I mean, I know there's still a lot for us to do to fix this paradigm, but it was way freaking harder 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I got to say. In my community 20 years ago, it was excruciatingly difficult to have to help people have their voices heard. And it there are still moments where I'm like, what is that about? But predominantly now in our community where we have vibrant birth worker community where we've been pounding the pavement here for you know decades I see so much improvement in that you know I love walking in and someone says oh good the doula's here 
20 years ago, that did not look like that. That was like, hmm, who are you? Arms crossed in front of my chest. What are you doing here? What is your role? Like there was just so much confusion about the role. And so I just feel a lot more welcome now than I did then. But also my my maturity, um, how I think about things has changed a lot in that time too. So it's interesting. Yeah. Here in the United States and specifically where I'm at in Charlotte, North Carolina, we find that drastically And there's still like there's one hospital system who has fully embraced doulas. We get a little badge. We can badge ourselves into refreshments, into the NICU, into the operating room, into triage. Like there's nowhere we're really not allowed to go. We're considered part of the team, even though our clients are private clients. The other hospital system is still like, hello, visitor. And if in flu season, we change our visitor policy, like you can't come in. So we've come so far in some ways, and we still have so much more work to do. Have you been in Toronto this whole time? Yes. Okay. So this is like literally the same community that you're watching change moment, birth, really birth after birth after birth. Like, each person paving the way for the next person to have a beautiful, more beautiful experience. Now, my understanding from those that I've interviewed in Canada, right, <laughs> is that Canada, that country, seems to be um, have a lot more midwives and a lot more home birth and a lot more birth centers than we have in the United States. Is that the same specifically in Toronto? Is mo or is everyone birthing at a hospital, or is there a lot of home birth and birth center births too? Health wise, we're regulated similar to the United States in terms of its state specific, right? It's province specific. Yeah. But I will say that in Ontario, the pro- the which is the biggest province, um, we regulated midwifery in 1994. So midwifery has actually been funded since 94, along with any birth that someone chooses to have in birth practice and birthplace is all funded by our healthcare system. So people, so definitely there's a bigger uptake um, as it's become, you know, a lot more known. It's very rare to be able to get a midwife if you don't call when you're first pregnant. Okay. Yeah. It's hard to get on that list. I actually had interviewed someone recently from Canada who had had the midwife miscarried. And then she said, you have to start the process over again with the next pregnancy. So Yeah. Yeah. So it can be tough. There are people who struggle to get a midwife or to get a midwife that they feel is in alignment. It's certainly not like in the U.S. where, you know, you can meet a few different doctors and decide which one you want. And I know sometimes people are sort of stuck because of their, you know, their, um, is it HMO? Um, yes. With our insurance companies, it can be an HMO or PPO. I mean that they, um, it's usually employer based in the United States. So like someone could have Cigna with this employer and Cigna with this employer and they pay for two totally different things. So it really boils down to the employer. Yeah. So sometimes you're kind of like forced to choose within a certain system of care providers and definitely we're faced with that same situation, but we don't get to pick and choose often. It's harder to. Um, And so, you know, yes, there is very big midwife uptake, but we're always limited by the low numbers of midwives. We only have up to birth centers in our whole province. So like birth centers in terms of a, you know, nice big structured facility that's covered 
there aren't that many of them, but, but they're there, you know, if you live in one of those big cities, they're there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think we'll see more of that in the future. They're actually newer, newer to us. Okay. So Stephanie, do you primarily focus your business on any one type of, um, like a hospital birth or home birth or birth center births, or do you sort of work with everyone? Yeah, we work with everyone. So, um, you know, I'd say just like the representation in terms of who people are going to for their care, we probably see similar representation. So so a lot of OB births, a lot of hospital births, some midwife clients, some home births, a little bit of everything. And we also run a hospital doula program, similar to what you described, where we work in collaboration with the hospital and um, where, where people, we actually have doulas available at different price points. So families that are in different income brackets can afford doulas as well. And it helps us to mentor newer doulas as they just finish their in-class training and we get to bring them in through this program. So yeah, lots of different things happening in the doula world here. Yeah, I love it. We see similar things happening here. Like we see all of the value in the newer doulas that have less than 10 births under their belt, but that they really serve a need with different price points. I mean, I think it's quite wonderful. Um, Here we're seeing a lot of insurance reimbursement for birth workers and um, it's just changing everything. So tell me on a day-to-day basis with um, like Discover Birth and Doula School, kind of what does your day look like? What are you guys doing? Yeah. So that's the thing, you know, if we kind of like fast forward, what happens, what happens when you decide I don't want to do this J-O-B and I want to do this full time. And, you know, as many people listening probably know that there was this period where we did not make enough money as birth workers. And when I first decided to give up my corporate work, which was pretty lucrative, I really, I remortgaged my house, tightened my belt. It was like, like, I got to do this and I've got to find a way. And I'm guilty. I'm one of those early people who is guilty of not charging enough for our work because I had a partner who was supporting me financially, Mm -hmm. you know, take full responsibility for being one of those people who kept birth workers making not enough money for too long. And once I decided, nope, this was it. It was like, nope, that's it. We've got to up level our professionalism. We have to recognize the value we bring. We have to start charging what is a reasonable rate Mm -hmm. to live on this work because this work is really, really, really important. And us being able to keep doing it is very important. And so that became my focus and my passion was bringing business into the doula world. You know, and I remember as a trainer, as an early trainer, and I had incorporated a business um, course, a business uh, section into my curriculum. And the person who was assessing said, you don't need to do this. You know, if you want to include this, you have to add more hours to your training. And I was like, this, that is a ridiculous statement. Of course, we need to be incorporating business into this because people leave training and then they don't know what to do next and they don't make enough money. And so they don't keep being doulas. And so it was so interesting. And I said, fine, then I'll make my course longer to add in the business section. Um, And then I did all of the conferences. I was like pounding the pavement. Like we can do this. We can run successful businesses. And so, you know, it was, it was, it was a tough go in those early years, but I was so committed. And I was, the thing is, as I was the first in my world, I'm sure there were other people somewhere out there doing the same as me, but I didn't see them. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like I was the first person saying some of these things and trying to run like like an agency. 
I didn't know of anyone running an agency before mine. So when I started trying to figure that out, I'm, I fumbled through a lot of things, not knowing how to do and what to do. You look around now, there's agencies, you know, every five blocks, right? And that's so important because there are so many people that are really wonderful doulas who don't want to do the business side. Yeah, that's absolutely what we find here. I work in a collaborative and a partnership. So it's been very interesting to see it evolve. Like I was like you said, Stephanie, I was one of those early like I was like, oh, sure, I'll come to your birth for like five hundred dollars because I'm married and I have a corporate six-figure job. And like yeah. this is just like extra cash. And I fell into that, into that. Very, this is a long time ago, 2005, but like I fell into that very early on. And then um, we haven't gotten a lot into background, Stephanie, but why I'm connecting with your story so much is I actually have an MBA that I received in 2006. So right at the t- same time I was getting introduced into doula world, I was finishing my master's in business. And m- I was thinking about birth work in a different way. And so that $500 today or in 2005 in this market is now three to $4,000 per birth. And it has elevated in my community. I'm not saying I've elevated change across the whole entire United States, but in my community, this is a living wage for doulas to be. When I came up, everyone, we brought everyone with us, right? You reach behind and you bring the person behind you with you so that everyone could be charging a livable wage, whether they had a second income or not, you know, and it also what we found is that when you're investing deeply in something like the birthing persons and their partners, they take it a lot more seriously, right? And the relationship becomes bigger. So I love you were on the, you know, really the cutting edge and the front side of all of this work. So let's fast forward. And so like, what did, did it become? Yeah, so it became two agencies with 30 doulas mm-hmm. and a and a birth doula program that operates out of three hospitals and uh, me as a trainer. I train for Dona International through Doula School, uh, which is one of our brands. We offer birth postpartum training and um, childbirth ed through Lamaz. We're a Lamaz approved program. So it's really, you know, I always jokingly say that every, every breath is birth in some way, Mm -hmm. you know, in every direction of my life. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love Lamaz. I actually took my first Lamaz class in the nineties with my mom when she was pregnant with my youngest sister. So the children in my family are spaced 25 years apart. So my mom and dad had like teen teen pregnancy and then went on and on and then in their 40s had my little sister so it was really fun to be in high school and to go to a Lamaze class with my mom in the early 90s so that was the first birth class I was ever introduced to I love it so much what is your favorite thing about Lamaze that it's about making classes fun that there is such a focus on adult education And, you know, of course, we all want evidence-based information, but evidence-based information that's just lectured to you is not actionable. It's not something that people remember. And the thing that I hear a lot, I despise this saying, people say, oh, yeah, I took prenatal classes. I went into labor and it all went out the window. 
I want to teach and I want people to go to classes where they embody the learning, where there is no, it went out the window because that's just knowledge. That's just in your head. So how do we, how can we embody things that people just now know this information in their core, things that are going to make a difference for them, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's what I like about it. Yeah. And it translates to parenting, like the type of education that I do with my private doula clients with the embodiment. I tell them all of the time. I'm like, these are the tools that I use with my seven and eight year old (laughs) when like things get frustrating. Right. And sometimes they're hard and sometimes you need to walk away and sometimes you need to breathe through them. Some of the breath work and the meditative practices, like they just transcend so far beyond birth 24 hours, you know, I'm so thankful for what you're doing for training good doulas and elevating the community. Because I know that the end of this is that we have less birth trauma and fewer cesarean rates. Do you track your data in Canada? We, uh, in terms of like provincially, do we track it? Yeah. Like, I mean, just use provincially or even within your own systems. Like, are you tracking, like, if you uh, work with one of our trained doulas, you see X number reduction in cesarean rates or traumatic birthing? Yeah. So we do that on our hospital program because we want to create that feedback loop with the hospitals and say like, okay, you have a 35% cesarean rate, but our program is 10%. People who come through our program is 10%, you know? So yes, we do track it there. And it's interesting. I was just thinking this morning, just this morning, I was looking at the report and I thought, why don't I do this with the agencies? (laughs) Yeah. Duh. Why don't I do that? You know, but it just felt like it was something that I needed to do. And you know what it's like in this work is there's so many things we could do. So and you're always time. one person thinking, how do we get it all done? Right. I know whenever I'm at a dinner party, Stephanie, I'm sure you get this a lot. Everyone's like, you should do like this, that and the other. And I'm like, girlfriend, all that stuff is sitting in a notebook already of like, you know, amazing ideas for entrepreneur Heidi over here, but so little time and so little venture capital, right? Like if someone was like, here's a couple hundred grand to live out all your dreams, we could rock this thing, you know, but Mm -hmm. we having to build, most of us are having to build slowly, And things that have never been done. That's the thing. It's so hard to be the first to do something. You don't get to look at, you know, every restaurant before you. Oh, I'm going to open up a restaurant. Great. Look at all these shows about restaurants. Look at all these things we know about restaurants. This is what you do to build a great restaurant. It's like, how do you look at that in the dual world? Okay, look around. How do you build a great hospital program? I don't know. When I started mine in 2010, I don't know. I looked around, I found a few, a few things happening, you know, different places, but there was nothing really to help me figure out how do I run this? What's the best way? So it's, it's interesting. I love it because it keeps me super entertained and engaged. And I'm someone who's very easily bored. 
the fact that I've been doing something for 20 years is astounding to everyone around me. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I know it is. I And sometimes it gives away our age too, which I don't love. <laughs> I'm like, you can keep thinking I'm 30. That's great. You know? Um, well, I really want to hear about your third birth story and about how your doula work and your lamas and kind of you were making that turn and that transition of education and empowerment and affecting other people's lives. And so I'm super curious how this impacted your own birth experience, you know? Yeah. And that's always such an interesting thing to look at someone who's already a birth worker and the choices they make in their own experiences. And so for me, it was the first time that I went with midwifery care, had some wonderful midwives, uh, was planning a home birth. I had attended a few home births at that point. I'd attended a lot of hospital births. And, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people would say to me, oh, wow, you're thinking of doing a home birth. You're so brave. And in my head, because I was very new and I was feeling a lot of probably vicarious trauma from my first three years of working as a birth worker, I remember thinking in my head, I've been at a bunch of hospital births and you're brave to go there. Like that was how I was feeling in that moment. Also, side note, vicarious trauma in birth workers is something that I've just been so passionate about because I really felt like I fumbled through it, not knowing what was happening and why I was feeling so horrible. You know, I, I call it the three-year itch because I feel like it's every three years. You do three years of this work and at the three-year mark, it's a tough go, man. You got to push through. So there I was having a baby at the three-year mark and I get gestational diabetes with all my pregnancies. So right away, it kind of puts you into this, you know, quote unquote, high risk category. And so it was so interesting to know all the things, to have those deep beliefs around informed decision making and to feel empowered in, and to feel like my voice was being heard by my midwives. And still, I was being drowned by the system, by the policies around, around this. And my midwives were brand new. It was a brand new practice. And that one of the things I've noticed in our community with midwives, all of our midwives have privileges at at least one hospital in okay. Ontario. Okay. But there are people who've had that since 94. And then there are brand new practices who are navigating those interprofessional dynamics in year one, year two. It's very different. It looks very different when a midwife practice has been working within a hospital system for many years versus brand new. So here I was stuck in this brand new system with these midwives, brand new practice. And it was a real tough situation. I found myself getting sucked in to that fear and worry that is a normal experience as a pregnant person when your caregiver is saying to you, nope, you know what? We really recommend this. And so I remember going, going to a, an appointment and them saying to me, well, because you and I ended up on insulin, which was an accident because of hosp uh, a, de um, a defective glucometer, but I ended up on insulin. Yeah. Oh yeah. It almost killed me because my levels were so low because it was measuring three point three points off, uh, uh -huh. three points in our measurement is big. Um, anyhow, leave the appointment and I go to book my next appointment and I'm crying. And the, the receptionist says, what's wrong? And I said, they told me I have to have a hospital birth and I was planning a home birth. And she said, Stephanie, what did they say? They said I had to have a, a hospital birth. Stephanie, what words did they say? They said, 
they would highly recommend that I have a hospital birth. She goes, say that again. And she was someone who had been a long time doula. She said, say it again. They recommend that. She goes, did you hear that word? Now, did they tell you you had to have a hospital birth? Well, I guess not. And I will never forget that moment because I realized that even though I was a birth worker, when I heard the words, we strongly recommend you have a hospital birth, my brain as a pregnant person interpreted that as you have to have your baby in the hospital. So powerful that you ran into that individual at that exact moment, you know, dissecting so much of the recommendations because the way they state it. Mm-hmm. with such authority seems mm-hmm. like they are in control sometimes of your body yeah. and getting that power back. Like she gave it right back to you. Nope. Yeah. I'm going to hand your power right back to you before you walk out of this door and we're going to wipe those tears away. Yeah. Y'all that's yeah, what doulas it, do. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing, right? It shifted everything for me. And I realized, nope, you know what? You're right. I was falling into that. Hey, it's normal, right? But that normal pregnant person, I'm in charge of this baby and keeping this baby safe. And I'm in charge of keeping my birth safe and myself healthy. And and then there are all these external factors and we take it all in and we feel like we're being led now downstream by someone else's decision, like you say. But all of a sudden I realized, no, actually it was all my decision. And I just turned it around for myself and the rest of that birth, you know, was just like, nope, this is how this is going to go. This is how this is going to go. I needed that one moment of someone really showing me. And it's one of the things I say to my clients a lot now. And I know that a lot of people feel like they had to have an induction, but that language for me, I, I really, really, really dislike that language because that's where people end up feeling really dissatisfied with their experience is when they have this idea that they were forced to do things. So I turn it around with my clients and I say, listen, you're telling me you have to go for this induction on Tuesday and you don't want to do it. How are you going to get there? Because I promise you, they are not coming to pick you up. So for you to go to that induction that you don't want to go to, you have to get dressed that morning. You have to get in the car. You have to get yourself there. You have to check yourself in. You have to sign that paperwork. The only thing that you need to do if you don't want that induction is to not go, not go. Yep. But they'll be mad at me. But what if I have to do it? Do you think there's something wrong with your baby? Do you need more information to help you understand what's going on inside? Do you need more testing? Do you need more discussion? Like, but let's get us to the point where we say, hey, okay, you know what? I do actually think I need to do this, but let's lose that language of I have to do this thing. I'm forced to do this thing because that's where that that discomfort and the, the unhappy experiences comes from. You know, when someone says, I looked at all, I dissected it, and I do think this isn't what I want, but I do think it's the best thing. That's not where the the dissatisfaction comes from. Those people go, whoa, that wasn't what I wanted, but it was a mother making experience, you know? Right. So that's kind of how it unfolded for me. My birth, you know, it didn't go exactly how I had wanted. And doulas, I think we fall in this trap of having to have the perfect birth, right? The designer birth that we want. Um, and, And that's not how it went, but I made every decision from that point of that person's comment to me. I made every decision going forward and, uh, and it really changed how I felt. It was a really great learning experience for me as a doula. 
Yeah, it's so important. My work partner and I say on every interview, we say we under promise and we over deliver, you know, because I'm like, you know, there's some things I can't untraumatize you out of, right? If your placenta detaches yeah, and I'm, we're putting you under general anesthesia and five hours later, you're waking up to meet your baby. Like I, I, I I'm a great doula. I can't untraumatize you out of that, right? But we're going to empower you to be prepared that sometimes this beautiful vision in your head, pieces of it you get, but maybe not the whole thing, right? Yeah. Those that listen to this podcast, Stephanie, know this story because I've told it a thousand times, but Mm -hmm. um, I was advanced maternal age, gestational diabetes, well, suspected gestational diabetes, when he was born, they were like, see, we told you because he was 11 pounds. But <laughs> um, but I did not go to my induction over and over and over. They kept scheduling it. And I just kept saying, like, you know, I'm not coming. Like, I'm going into spontaneous labor. This is something I know that I'm capable of. Like, stop putting it on the calendar. My um, compromise was ultrasounds and non-stress tests. Yeah. So I was like, listen, I'm not going to go to this um No, I don't see just because I'm 36 or 37 years old, like, no, no, not happening. Um, So I went into spontaneous labor at 42 and a half, 42 and five, 48 hour labor, and then delivered at 43 weeks gestation. So when my clients call me, like I had one yesterday that say, oh, I'm AMA, they're saying we need to do set 39 weeks. We have to unpack that conversation. (laughs) Right. And deliver to them storytelling of other individuals that had these conversations and what these scripts look like. So I'm so proud of you, Stephanie, and for that doula that intervened. How did you know that you were in labor? With my third was really interesting. It was the first time that I'd had a premature rupture of membranes, which For those that are new to birth work, premature doesn't mean your baby's premature. It means before labor. So I woke up and felt, literally felt a pop. I'm pretty sure I heard a pop, which is funny because we always say, it's not like what you imagine. It's not like a big pop, like in the movies. And yeah, and then I I did, I literally heard a pop and felt it, um, but then had a slow, slow leak. And with the interesting thing was that with my second son, again, this goes to show it doesn't matter how much you know, when you are in labor, you are just a laboring person. You're not a doula, you're not a midwife, you're not a nurse, you're not a doctor, you're just a laboring person. And my second son, after my water broke, I had him 10 minutes later. So in my mind, your water breaks and you have a baby 10 minutes later. So my water breaks, I'm lying in bed and I panic. Like a baby's about to fall out of my yoni. But in your second course. birth, you had what we would probably call spontaneous rupture of membranes, SROM, where you're already laboring and then your water breaks versus PROM or, you know, premature rupture of the membranes. It's your first sign and you're not already laboring. So yes. I can see how your mind would get that confused, mm-hmm. you know, like, what do I do with this? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And of course, you know, that was my longest labor. My, my third birth was my longest labor. Um, Cause it took a while actually for, for contractions to get started. Yeah. So that was the one, you know, that's like the easy, okay, today is the day my water broke. And now I know I'm having a baby today. 
Um, or tomorrow. And they, they just get, get going. Yeah, or tomorrow. Or tomorrow. Maybe with the third, it goes a little bit faster. Thirds are always the wild card. I always say yeah. I have, n- well, maybe like one time, but like usually number two just flies out, right? Mm-hmm. Like so much easier than number one. But three... I'm like, mm, they just like to find their way into weird positions. <laughs> that is exactly what happened is because my bag of waters broke, she ended up with a little bit of cord compression. And so, you know, we, I did get contractions happening, thankfully, on their own within a few hours. But then her heart rate started having some D cells. So the midwives were at my house because I was planning home birth. And all of a sudden we started to have some decelerations of her heart rate. And they were like, hey, we should go in. And, you know, it's interesting because I I had always said, if there's a reason for me to go in, I'll go in. But if there's not a reason and gestational diabetes, controlled gestational diabetes for me was not a reason, Mm -hmm. then I was not going to go in. And so here we were, and I was faced with thinking, well, I guess there's a reason now, you know, for us to go in and, you know, went into the hospital and, and kind of locked myself in the bathroom, to be honest, because the the doctor came in, was like, you got to stay on continuous fetal monitoring. And by then I was looking at it. And I, it's interesting because my brain was very much in, a, in labor la la land, but I was looking at it knowing that that looked like a normal tracing. And so I was like, well, like, I'm not staying here. I'm not staying in this bed. It really did not feel good for me. I had really bad sciatic pain with that pregnancy. And I was not staying on my back. And so I was like, I'm just going to go to the shower for 10 minutes and spent like 90 minutes there, basically, yeah. <laughs> um, by myself. You know, I always myself. say, we're going to go to the bathroom. She just has to pee. And then I'm like, two hours later, we're still sitting on the toilet. Yeah, you know? exactly. And so, that worked for me and, you know, came out and pushed my baby out. Um, but it was funny because I remember hitting transition and I was on my hands and knees leaning over the edge of the bed hitting transition. And, but I didn't know what my dilation was. I don't think we had checked it at all since I'd gotten there and thinking in my mind, Oh my God, I don't know if I can take much more of this. I might be the doula that gets an epidural, you know, <laughs> like having that thought. And, and you're like, hello, funny. transition thoughts. Yeah. Those are transition thoughts. Totally. Um, totally. So many questions really quick. How many mm-hmm. weeks gestation were you when your water popped? Uh, so, you know, that's an interesting thing that I've probably obsessed. Um, one of the things I think that happens for a lot of people is they think, what if I would have done this instead? And I always say we can drive ourselves crazy with the what ifs. Yeah. And I, there was a point where I almost took castor oil just to get labor started because I did it. I was sick of hearing this discussion about induction. Okay. And so I was going to, and my friend said, Stephanie, you tell people all the time that your baby will come when your baby's ready. So why would you do that? And Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, you're right. Why would I do that? I'm just not going to engage in that conversation anymore. So I waited. And then of course the premature rupture of membranes and then the cord compression, which sent me to the hospital. And so there's a lot of times I've gone back and thought, gosh, if I would have just done that, maybe I would have been able to have my home birth, but there's no, we don't get another alternate ending. You don't get to go back you know, and see what would have happened if 
Yeah, because you don't know. Maybe the castor oil caused more stress to the baby and totally. then there was meconium. You know what I mean? That like then the baby nailed. I mean, you could go down a rabbit hole of like what ifs. So you yes. guys listening, just don't do that, you know? Yeah, so exactly. I definitely did that following that birth because I, I questioned, you know, did my baby really have decelerations or did my midwives just want to get me to the hospital? Because they were worried, you know, and that, which they say, you know, no, 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 that's not a thing that didn't happen. It was really interesting, but I was, I think I was 39 and five, if I remember correctly. Okay. So not 43 weeks. No, <laughs> so, exactly. No. I would, I would just in my own dual of practice, Stephanie, if it helps you, I would never, ever intervene before 42 weeks. You know what yeah. I mean? So I think it was perfectly beautiful that you didn't intervene. So at 39 yeah. and five, the reason I ask is because I start to see patterns with gestational weights and or ages. So what about your first two? How, what do you know what your gestational ages and weights of your first two were? Yeah, I was two days, actually two days before my due date with my first. Okay. And with my second, I was, I must've been 10 days before the due date, but I took castor oil with that one because they okay. were threatening an induction. This was before I was a doula. All, and all because one, of gestational diabetes. Yeah. Boo. I have lots of things to say about that, but I'm not a doctor. So I, I know. Um, no, we do not shame individuals with gestational diabetes I have had clients who weigh 100 pounds soaking wet with gestational yeah. diabetes all yeah. the way through clients with higher BMIs. Not correlated, not correlated, not correlated, you guys. just And the joke is the gestational diabetes diet is how you should be eating. Yes. <laughs> like, exactly. like high protein, low to medium amount of carbohydrates, a balanced, nutritious meal, that's all. No, like I tell sure. everyone, don't stress out about gestational diabetes. That's how we all should be eating anyway, <laughs> pregnant or not pregnant. Um, but yes, there is this, um, and they'll call macrosomia, right? Mm -hmm. Big baby. Sure. My baby was 11 pounds at 43 weeks gestation with gestational diabetes. And guess what? I had him out of my vagina, right? Yeah. Because I moved my body and I moved my pelvis. I'm one of those people, Stephanie, I don't subscribe into like the baby doesn't fit. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. if you move. Your well, pelvis. here's the thing, you know, I say to people <laughs> all the time is why would your body make a baby? It can't birth. Right. Right. Why would your body make a baby? Can't birth. I mean, I kind of like dot, dot, dot. If you're eating real food, I think there are times where we're putting a lot of stuff in our bodies and our bodies literally don't know what to do with it. Like it's fake food and yep. our bodies don't know what to do with it. I think that's a thing. But if you're eating real food, why would your, why would your body do that? Um, and then of course there's that whole other, like, but we have to move our bodies. So it's not just about the size of the baby. And I'll tell you, I had one year as a doula where I had two clients, they, they were, they had babies like two months apart. So I always remember this year and they both had had their first baby by cesarean for CPD. Okay. So people listening, CPD, cephalopelvic disproportion which is when they say your baby did not fit through your pelvis. Okay. So combination baby pelvis didn't fit. They hired me as a doula to attempt um, a vaginal birth after cesarean. They both had babies one entire pound bigger, one pound bigger that fit through vaginally. Yeah. So it's not 
often when people say, well, the baby didn't fit, it's not always a 5% of babies won't, they say won't fit. 5% is true CPD, but that means 95% of babies fit, right? And why didn't they fit though? When, when, when it, cause a lot of people listening are saying, but I have, my baby didn't fit. I had to have a cesarean. So my baby didn't fit. Sometimes it's the position of the baby. Sometimes it's our position, right? That we need to be moving around more in pregnancy. We need to be moving around more in labor. Um, and there are lots of things that we can do to help a baby fit, you know, pushing on the back. That's not it. That's not what helps a baby fit. And that's where most people push their baby. Yeah. Right? Because when we're on our back, our coccyx gets pushed into that pelvic space. If someone's, you know, not putting compression, there are lots of things Stephanie could teach you guys right now. But like, if there's one thing that I want to leave everyone with on this is like, don't be on your back. If you're anywhere near your back, because that feels good to you. That happens to be a position. Roll up a towel and put it under a butt cheek so that your coccyx has free movement. And then I'm always like, for the love of it, put your knees together. Like I always tell everybody to take your hands, sit on your butt, like sit on your hands and put those fingertips on the bottom of your pelvis and put your legs wide. What happens? Oh, the pelvis collapses and becomes smaller. Okay, now push your knees together. Oh, everything opens up down there. And becomes wider. So we can make 30, 40% more room in the pelvis just by moving. So circling that back to gestational diabetes and the threat of having like a big baby, you know, talk to your doctor about the word recommend. <laughs> like focus on that word recommend, you guys. Okay. I'm going to take you all the way back though, Stephanie, because I love teaching. And so we always kind of go on these tangents, but like, I really want to go back to that moment where you're like in the shower and you know, you're 39 and five, your water broke. It took some time. It can take 24, 48 hours for your water to, to, I mean, for your uh, labor contractions to begin when you have premature rupture of the membranes. Data shows that most people start contracting within six to eight hours. Mm -hmm. So Stephanie, it sounds like you fell into that yeah. like kind of six to eight hour range. So yeah. you're you're in the shower and you're kind of managing these and then you come out and you hit transition with, like you said, you're no longer a doula in that moment. Yeah. What helped you get through transition? I just have always believed that we are powerful, that humans are powerful. Birthing people are powerful and they're strong, you know, and feeling a moment of weakness or feeling having the thought, whoa, I don't know how much longer I can do that. Doesn't mean we're not strong, right? It's feeling that and continuing, right? That you keep going. And I always say one of the things I think is so perfect about birth is you're only ever going to deal with a minute or a minute and a half at a time. And then you're going to get a break and how we utilize that break and really regrouping in that break and that in-between time. You know, I think that's everything. So, yeah, I think it was just that coming back to that same place, you know, after every contraction, coming back to this is how it goes and I'm powerful and I'm strong and and surely this is almost over. <laughs> <laughs> like a knowingness. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, what position were you in when you pushed your third child out? I had been in hands and knees when we started. And then I think I flipped over for them to do an exam and the baby was right there. So just (laughs) one push on your side to to baby. So, oh, I love it. Now do, um, is placenta encapsulation something that's um, prominent in uh, your area? Yeah, it's kind of been up and down. Um, It's definitely something that we still see a lot of I feel like we hear less about it than we did maybe five years ago okay but um, but yeah it's a thing for sure yeah did you do it back then I didn't it was not she that baby is 17 years old yeah I was trying to I was putting the timeline together that this was early in your career two decades ago that you were having your babies yeah yeah so um that I don't know that that was a thing then at least mainstream yeah. Not, not until Kim Kardashian talked about yeah. it on keeping up with the Kardashians <laughs> or whatever. And then everyone's like, let's do this placenta smoothie thing. Exactly. So, well, Stephanie, before we go, I just want to say I'm in such gratitude for um, sharing such similar thinking mm-hmm. with you about like, you know, elevating birth workers, training birth workers so that we can change the human experience and birth. It is so important, the work that you're doing because also of like generational trauma, right? Like we were inside of our biological grandmothers, right? Like those eggs, like we, there's three generations there that are feeling birth, that are experiencing birth. And so like we have this really unique opportunity to also with training and empowerment and lifting up birthing persons to to heal generational trauma for the next three generations with your birth experience. So I just thank you so much for what you're doing. Could you leave us with how to get a hold of you? If there is an aspiring doula, how they could take your training, you know, so that I can put everything in the show notes so that we can really follow you and keep up with you. Yeah. So we have birth, postpartum training, doula training. We also have a really amazing prenatal yoga teacher training that combines with birth doula. It's a yoga alliance approved course. And of course, our Lamaz program. And everyone can find all that info at doulaschool.ca. Doulaschool.ca. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you. you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go, and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan, and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like. 